Hello and welcome to a very special Midpoint. If you've been a Midpoint listener over the last 40 or so episodes, you'll know that we cover a range of issues affecting midlifers alongside the lovely, well-known people who've come on to chat about everything in their lives from ageing physically and surgery to empty nest syndrome, empowerment in the workplace as they get older and huge midlife gear changes. We also have experts pop on from diet and exercise and science and beyond. Now, my husband, Kenny, has always been a very loyal listener to the podcast and after episodes which touched on HRT and hormonal changes in women. He wants to know what was happening inside his body. I explained to him that women's hormones drop off a cliff and men's tend to drop off a little bit more slowly. But he was curious and booked himself in for some tests. What he found was not what he was expecting. He wanted to share his story because he feels it's important to use this platform and make men of a certain age aware of a very simple test which could change their futures. This is the prostate episode. And everybody involved in this has given their time and efforts gratis in support of raising awareness of the biggest cancer killer of men in the UK, prostate cancer. I'm Gabby Logan. I'm Kenny Logan. And we're married and we've been married for 21 years this year. And on the 8th of February, 2022, Kenny was told that he had prostate cancer. And that was a bit of a shock, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I su- yeah, it was a shock because I had gone to see the specialist, Declan, um, probably tw- 14 months before that because I'd listened to your podcast about people, women getting checked and you know, um, HRT and all the things that change with women. And, and I you was, wanted some HRT. And I said, give me some of <laughs> HRT. So I was thinking, what happens to, to my hormones? And you said women fall off a cliff and men slowly. Mm-hmm. So I got it tested anyway. I was totally fine. He says, your hormones are fine. He says, but your, your PSA levels are quite high, high. I said, what's the PSA level? He said, oh, it's your prostate. You should probably get it checked. He checked at the time and he said it was fine. But you should get it checked. And then a good friend of mine, Sean, said to me, I'm going to get a specialist who he knows. Um, so we've got one of the best urologists. And he saw me about four days later and he said, right, do you know what, don't worry about it, we'll keep monitoring you, you'll be fine because um, I'm going to be on it, but you you, you have got potentially a little bit of cancer but we don't know yet, we'll just keep an eye on it. And then I was fine and I got a, a biopsy and there was a little bit there, but he said, some of your friends, you could die of something else. That was his big yeah. thing, he said, you could have this to your 70. And it won't be. It won't do anything. He just was doing another routine check, everyone seemed fine. He said, I'm just going to take another biopsy, which was, uh, was it end of uh, January or something like that? It was early January. <clears throat> early January. And I went off to Italy. Yeah, he um, frees the fear. And I then didn't think any of it, to be mm. honest. My, my PSA went up to six something, which is still not that bad. And then I was in my office and then he just phoned me up and said... Well, we had, we, on the 8th we had it booked in, didn't booked we? Booked in, yeah. So he was going to do a Zoom with you to give you results. And I had... Absolutely, no doubt in my mind you were going to be so fine. Mm. I was not worried whatsoever. In fact, so much so that the call was, say, 10.30, and I had a meeting booked at 11. Somebody was coming to the house, a guy called Mark Cole, who helps to run Whisper Films, was Mm -hmm. coming to have a meeting with me. I wouldn't have made that meeting if I'd known what was going to happen next. I think when somebody tells you you've got cancer, it's just because you hear about cancer everywhere, don't you? It's one in three or one in two. So you know that you've got a huge chance of getting it. But when somebody says it to you, it sort of just, it didn't really sink in, did it? It was, yeah. I got a bit upset and, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was weird. Um, I suppose you start then thinking about where else is it? Is it anywhere else in the body? I think that was the thing he said, look, it's contained in the prostate. And but obviously a lot of men have prostate <clears throat> cancer, don't know, don't get it checked out, and that's when it leads to a secondary cancer. I was lucky, the fact that... And so you, you, we had to look at the positive. Well, I hope I'm lucky. <laughs> well, we, well you, you know it's got not gone anywhere else. Yeah, no, no, they've still got to check and, all that, but they've got to yeah. get monitored after. But at but. the moment, it's contained in the prostate. When the prostate's taken out, that'll be it. You'll never get prostate cancer again because you've got no prostate. No prostate, yeah. And that's the idea of taking That's the idea care. of it. Because at your age... What he said so quite young. You could have, have radiotherapy and then it could come back again. Yeah. Whereas if the prostate is gone, I suppose it's comparable maybe and to a woman who has a mastectomy mm. with a you know high risk of breast cancer when they've had it once. Um, so 
depending on what advice they're given. And, and, and also, you know, would I have listened to your podcasts if I wasn't married to you? You know, because it was, you know, but I do listen to them and I get a lot from hearing women talking about their issues. Now, we must have the same issues, but different areas. Mm -hmm. And prostate and people, the amount of time you hear people saying, I must get checked, I must get checked. And somebody actually, a couple of weeks ago, said to me, I must get checked. And he was hawing and hawing about it. And I said, I've got prostate cancer. And his face just dropped and um, was actually on Doddy's um, walk. And he went, oh, my God, I'm going to get checked. And all my mates have, have told some of my mates, they've all got checked and they're all fine. So, you know, you just, just got to go and get checked. What we're going to do through this podcast is we're going to go through the whole process of you having your operation. I mean, we're not going to record that. <laughs> You're not going to be there. No, we're not going to record that <laughs> bit. But just kind of how, it, how you feel afterwards, what it, you know, what happens so that people kind of get a better understanding, I suppose, of it. So I'm going to go and have a chat with some of the experts about prostate cancer. I mean, you're a pretty expert now, but there are actually people who are qualified yeah, and trained for years. I think I'll be so. doing the operations next week. <laughs> so I'm going to have a chat with them, all right? Thank you. Declan, ever since Kenny met you, he's had enormous faith and trust in you. And actually, if we go back to that first meeting, at that point you didn't seem to think that Kenny was going to be in a situation where just a year or so later, he'd be having his prostate removed. So can we go back to a high PSA number, which is what Kenny originally had, or a higher than normal PSA number, which is why he came to speak to you. So the PSA is the first thing that might indicate in terms of a medical test, is it not, that you'd have some kind of prostate issue? Yes. Just to come back to your first point, that he was kind enough to have some faith in me, one of the extraordinary things about being a doctor and that patients have faith and trust in you before you've actually earned it, which is sort of testament to the respect people have for the profession, which is wonderful. And you certainly hope to gain people's trust and maintain that. So the, the PSA stands for prostate-specific antigen. It's a blood test. It's a very simple blood test. It's cheap. It's very prostate-specific, so it doesn't come from anywhere else in the body. If there's an elevated PSA, it's because the prostate is generating more PSA for various reasons. And that PSA might be generated because you've got a large prostate, so gram for gram there's a certain amount of PSA. So like we've got big noses and big ears and some people and others, you can have big prostates. And the average prostate I removed might be 50 cc's. Some people might have, and very rarely, a prostate of 100 grams, 200 grams, or even 300 grams. So prostate size is relevant, infection, inflammation. And the one I was hoping for most for Kenny when I met him, because he spoke about some urinary symptoms, was Sometimes people with tricky prostates generating urinary flow and frequency issues can, can force a PSA up, or cancer. So people with prostate cancer can present with a, an elevated PSA. You don't know which of those three things it is, and so you need to do some further tests. So the PSA is an amazing, extraordinary, wonderful prostate screening test. The reason Kenny found out about his PSA, as you know, was not because he had any of the classic symptoms. He'd gone to do some other tests, some kind of, let's call them well-man tests, and that and that came out. So for other people, if they're not just lucky enough as Kenny was to catch it, what symptoms would they classically be looking out for? Well, of course, every man thinks they're a well-man. So the every man of 50, when you critique them about their exercise levels and their body habitus, they, they describe themselves at 25 when they're in their physical prime playing uh, rugby at university or for their old boy side. Most men feel well, they don't feel they've got any symptoms. Uh, they usually have uh, collected some um, mileage along the way and are not very accepting of it. But essentially, prostate cancer has got no symptoms until it's very advanced. And so the rule of thumb is that symptomatic prostate cancer is incurable. Curable prostate cancer has no symptoms. When men go to the doctor because they've got urinary symptoms of poor flow, incomplete emptying, difficulty starting frequency, urgency, getting up at night, that's generally due to benign uh, obstructive features of the prostate it can have on the bladder outflow. And that's a common thing for men from 50 years of age. If you look around most countries in the world, the average life expectancy in the third world would be about 50 years of age. And so we're like the white appliances in the kitchen. We weren't meant to be going far past 50. And so it wasn't, we, our bladders weren't planned for our prostate to grow and, and progress. And that's why we get some symptoms. 
But so it's a big fault, and it's a fault a lot of the advertising campaigns make about prostate cancer screening, that men with certain symptoms should present to the doctor, because those symptoms are almost never cancer. They're likely to be associated with a, a raised PSA of a benign nature, and men with no symptoms at all uh, are no less likely to have prostate cancer than those men with the symptoms. When it's all confined and without any symptoms, and that's when it's at its curable stage to avoid the long-term consequences of prostate cancer and the need for long-term prostate cancer treatment can have significant negative impact on a man's well-being and functional performance. So let's talk about both of those then, actually, because Kenny's was contained, if I understand. So he had options. So if you catch it early enough and it's contained, the options are... Well, the options are between watching it, which we did with Kenny initially, because uh, initially we only found some very low-grade tumour. And we know that that type of tumour, it's called Gleason 3 plus 3, grade group 1 prostate cancer, grows extremely slowly, and it doesn't seem to have the genetic computer power to spread. And so we watched that very confidently. Although, realistically, we're not watching that. The reason I was watching him was in case I'd undersampled him, and I suspect that was the case. So we were watching him for what we'd missed, that we hadn't missed something more significant rather than what we'd found. So uh, when you did find something more a year later and you said this is this is now cancer we can talk about this as cancer at that stage it wasn't a, a rush was it well there wasn't a kind of an urgency to come into hospital the next day but you did want to do something within the next few months so he had a grade group two prostate cancer and it just behaves a little bit more unpredictably and the consequences for that are are missing the boat and missing the boat doesn't happen quickly missing the boat has got very little short-term impact, but missing the boat is the impact of meaning that that patient lives between 5 and 15 or 20 years down the line uh, on intermittent or continuous medical therapy to keep the prostate cancer at bay as long as possible. So he was in the position where we thought he was a young, fit, healthy individual. He's got a median life expectancy of 30 years. Uh, he's fit and healthy. He doesn't smoke. He, he could fairly well predict to be the 50% that make it beyond 80 rather than the 50% that don't. And so we were thinking that some sort of early treatment would be worthwhile because that would cure him. The problem with that, confidence in cure, the more confidence you have in cure, the more risk you have in causing negative impacts on, on the gentleman. The reason for that is the prostate itself is an accessory sexual organ, so it's important for fertility. It produces 98% of the volume of a men's ejaculate, and that's there in order to help the spermatozoa, the 2% of the ejaculate from the testicles, survive for the process of conception. The prostate itself is essentially then a bad tenant paying no rent, and its importance is the clockwork around it, the neurovascular bundles around a gentleman's waterworks, the tendency maybe to leak urine when coughing and sneezing or worse, and the ability to achieve an erection for penetrative intimacy. So you've got to make choices between the risk of impact on those and the efficacy of the treatment. And the different side effects long-term in the treatments. And those treatments are between surgery, radiotherapy, or in occasional circumstances, other forms of energy for just treating an abnormal area within a prostate when it's very clear there is just one area and it's identifiable. That it is the holy grail. If the cancer truly is confined to the prostate and you remove it, you're likely to have durable cure. And so the fact that Kenny's was contained and he was younger was leaning towards removal. It is. The reason we were leaning towards removal was because, one, we thought we had the expertise to do it and spare him. Two, he had the well-being to put up with that, and I thought to recover well from it from a constancy and potency point of view. And in the younger people, we do have concern about the long-term side effects of radiotherapy on the bladder and the bowel. They're uncommon, both in the sort of functional changes they can cause and, and, the, very, and, and the rare malignancies they can cause of the bladder and the bowel, but their infrequent nature is put out of kilter by the difficulty in managing them. And so uh, we err against that in someone who's got a life expectancy of 15, 20, 25, 30 years or more. And in terms of the, the kind of stats about men with prostate cancer, it is the biggest male cancer killer, am I right? That's Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's about 12,000 men per year. Of, of prostate cancer alone? or Prostate cancer alone. And that is against other big players, such as bowel cancer and lung cancer. The reason we record mortality, of course, as an outcome and a, as, a de, as a definer 
of, of risk of certain diseases, it's very black and white, and it's very easy to record. One of the great things uh, we've got in prostate cancer, we've got fairly not obviously toxic drugs that are very good at putting into remission. They don't cure it, but they're amazing. Uh, a chap called Huggins and his friend Hodges got a Nobel Prize in 1947 for working out that blocking the male hormone testosterone puts cancer into remission. And it does that without making people feel sick, losing their hair, and the horrors of what you normally see as chemotherapy. But they get significant side effects, metabolic side effects like diabetes, cardiovascular side effects like increased atherosclerosis. And indeed, at the beginning, the cardiovascular mortality was the same as the mortality that was being spared of prostate cancer from the drugs. And now with better cardiovascular health and well-being and, and exercise and advice that we give our patients, we try to negate that. Uh, but there are far more men in the UK on testosterone deprivation with a significant impact on their quality of life, uh, tiredness, psychological issues, muscle wastage, weight gain, impotence, than there are people that are dying from prostate cancer. So the, the prostate cancer uh, epidemic is more of an issue than is actually publicised. And it's seen, or before Kenny anyway, I always heard of people who are a lot older with prostate issues. And I guess the treatments then, you know, you make different decisions with a man in his late 70s and 80s. At what age do you think, Declan, men should be going for their PSA measured? Generally, the prostate cancer screening would start at the age of 50 uh, in a Caucasian, that's a white man, 45 years of age in black men because it is more common and that's a genetic predisposition. Uh, there's also environmental factors. But the truth remains that as an individual, the only way you can avoid dying from prostate cancer is to look for it because it's asymptomatic, it's got no symptoms. And the only prostate cancer that is curable is when it is generating no symptoms, or it's confined to the prostate. And so as an individual, you can assess your risk. One of the problems that we have, of course, is it's the more affluent, the more privileged that have bespoke medicals that tend to get identified. And it's the younger men who've got the most to deal with it. They're busy, they're working hard, they're in factories, they can't afford to take time off work, they don't get time off work, it's difficult to go to the GP, it takes a lot, of, a lot to make that happen. And they're the people most at risk. In fact, one of our research projects that we're doing at the, at the Royal Marsden at the moment, it's called The Man Van. And uh, we've got charitable donation for a van and a research fellow of mine that's doing a PhD. And we're looking to see whether if we take the van to the bus depot, the church, the factory, whether we can case find, so increase our target and find it. And at the same time, if we check their blood pressure, weigh them, and do a mental health questionnaire whether we can increase our bang for our buck and make screening worthwhile. But that's a project that's way to be seen. Am I right in thinking, Declan, that prostate cancer is not a lifestyle cancer, that your lifestyle doesn't affect it per se? Yes, that is correct. I think uh, largely. The, uh, one of the nice things about being a prostate cancer specialist is when I'm sitting in front of men talking about prostate cancer, they're not wondering if only I hadn't done X or I hadn't done Y. And so that is almost always the question. Can I ask you as well about secondary cancers? Because obviously the idea that the cancer is contained in the prostate, if it was contained in the prostate forever, you could carry on living not knowing, you know, that you had prostate cancer. When that is no longer contained, what are the secondary risks for most men? So microscopic spread can happen to anywhere. With prostate cancer, it's principally to lymph nodes and bone, particularly bone. The cancers that we associate with being killers, that, you know. Yes, and uh, with prostate cancer, you can pick those up. So when we do prostatectomies or when we do radiotherapy to the prostate, we do it because the scans that we currently have show no spread. Of course, scans pick up lumps, not cells. And so sometimes microscopic cells do spread and are significant. And that's why we check the PSA afterwards. So we're incredibly fortunate with prostate cancer. There are, there are, there are issues with PSA uh, as a diagnostic tool, because it's not just cancer that produces it. But if you, if you remove the prostate or when you treat it with radiotherapy, uh, the PSA is either undetectable or there's an issue. The slight issue is the, I'm sure Kenny's going to feel it with time, uh, after you've had an operation, PSA converts from prostate-specific antigen to persistent stress and anxiety, because the test is so good, looking for a result of 0.03 or 0.04, that can just be a bit of background noise from a few benign cells left of the bladder or the urethra. And so it's so good 
but it but it but it is very effective. It allows us to, uh, in about twenty percent of men overall, deliver a salvage dose of radiotherapy, for instance, after prostatectomy, which tends to be very very effective. And against that, you've got to look at the every other cancer that gets surgery, radiotherapy, and drugs as a cure. Uh, whereas because we've got PSA, we can give everyone as little as they need, i.e. just one treatment and then monitor it. And for those that get recurrence, we can add another treatment, uh, still hoping to get the benefit of multimodal treatment. Well, Declan, for now, we've uh, obviously chatted and indicated that Kenny's going to have his prostate removed. So we will talk a little bit later on, if that's OK. OK. Thank you. So here we are. It's the night before you, Kenny, go into hospital to have your prostate removed. Um, as we know, you had options, but um, with your surgeon and other people and seeking advice, you decided this was the best way forwards because of your age and also the potential for it to come back at your age. As we sit here now, kind of 12 hours before you go into hospital, how are you feeling? Um. Nervous and a bit emotional, because I don't know what's, you know. Um, you've wait, I've waited for a while for this, so, you know, it's been, you keep thinking it's never going to come, because, you know, the time's now tomorrow. And I'm nervous, thinking about family, thinking about you. Um, my mum doesn't know I've got prostate cancer. She doesn't know that I'm going in, so that's quite, mm -hmm. I'm also not telling your mum. And the reason we decided that was because... Your mum's um, ninety, and yeah, she doesn't need the heart. She doesn't she, need the one. She would be, she would be really um, stressed about it. But I think for me, you know, it was a, tonight's surgeon for me tonight. Said, "How are you feeling? You nervous? Don't worry if you don't get sleep because you get plenty after that." <laughs> <laughs> Did he say, "Are you nervous?" Yeah, he said, "How do you feel? <laughs> Did you feel nervous?" Or... I said, "Well, I felt better before big games and this." But anyway, um, I'm I'm looking forward to getting it out, knowing that the cancer's gone, and. Um, you know, I think I'm, ne I'm more nervous now about what's happened after, how does the, re the, the rehab and how does it affect me in, as a person. I don't think it's going to affect me as a person, but me as a man, because I think that's what men think about is, will they get uh, erection <laughs> erection again? Um, I'm, I'm not... I, I, think, I think I'm going into it very positive. I'm also... I keep thinking to myself, I'm lucky I've caught it quick and I've got good support around me, good specialist... Family, kids being brilliant. Because I think you don't look like you've got cancer. <laughs> no, but you're not. No, no, I'm not. I've got no symptoms. And you've got no symptoms. So it's a really strange thing for all of us, I think, you know, because actually it's a rare thing where you're going for an operation where you're actually not going to feel better. <laughs> you're going to feel worse. Well, mentally I'll feel better knowing that cancer's the cancer's gone and taken it out. So, but as I say, it's not affecting me day to day. I'm not feeling any. Maybe recently I was thinking I do go to the toilet a bit more than than I used to. And that's normally one of the signs. So maybe I'm starting to get signs of she's going to get checked where men tend to wait. Because you obviously didn't go because of symptoms. You just went and had some health checks and it... it yeah, it picked up, yeah. Hmm. Because of the po your podcast. Yeah. Made me think, maybe I should get checked. Midpoint, my life. I didn't get a new job, I just got my prostate taken out. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm a positive person anyway. And as I say, I'm lucky that I've caught it in the right time and... Kids have been great. Ruben and Lois have been really supportive, and so have you. So, I think this. I think I'm going into the harder bit tomorrow afternoon after I've been through the operation. I think that's when it really starts to maybe hit me, and hopefully the operation goes well. There's nothing major, and I come out of that, and then I've got. Do you know how long the operation takes? Two or three hours, I think it is. Right. And then um, rehab. And you've got a couple bag. of nights in hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, Ten days with a It's not a colostomy, bag. Kenny. What it's is it? a catheter. Catheter. Colostomy is blue. the other one. That's blue. Yeah. And nappies. <laughs> That's just for leaky, yeah. leakiness. Leakiness. But you might not need that. Might not need that. Might be tight down there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've told quite a few friends. I've told friends. Um, I think that's the other thing. When you do speak to people about it, you do feel better because you, you hold it all in. So I've got a lot of text messages from mates who have told... Professionally and also just mates. And and a lot of your friends 
and go and get checked immediately. Yeah, they've gone and got themselves checked, which yeah. is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. And everybody's been okay so far. Everybody's been all right. You haven't saved anybody's life yet. No. <laughs> um, I suppose for me, that's why I want to do this because people do need to. Men tend to be a bit stubborn. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. And go, I didn't realise. And you know, yeah, I lost a good this... friend this year through cancer, yeah. and he didn't maybe do it quick enough. So that also went to his funeral. That was hard thinking. I'd. Gone and got tested, and he didn't. You know, wish he had. So it's hard. Well, hopefully, by talking like this. Yeah, yeah. You know. He also got more emotional as you older. That's another thing. He cried anything like this. Yeah, well, I think that's understandable. You, you know, you're going in for major surgery, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And I think you feel vulnerable, don't you? Because you're doing so. And as you mentioned, then, you know, you haven't. Your dad's not alive, and your mum doesn't know. You know. I want to get it done there. I just want to get in there, get it done and start recovery. And, you know, to say I'm lucky, I caught it early, so I'm feel confident, positive. I think you got to be. Okay. Well, I think um, we should probably should have sex. I think definitely should have sex. Because <laughs> you could be here. <laughs> <All right. clears throat> should we do it? No, we're not recording oh, that bit. Sorry. <laughs> no, we're not recording the sex bit. Oh, right. <laughs> we're just gonna. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, gonna leave, have, leave it to your imagination. Okay. Leave it to your imagination. Got good imagination. Not you, them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Declan. How are you? Hi, very good, thank you. I'd like to talk to you today about what actually goes on when you remove a man's prostate and how the operation. Uh, happens, you know, where you go in, what you do, and what you're trying to achieve at the end of it. So there are different ways of removing the prostate, essentially keyhole and open. Uh, the majority would do keyhole now, which is facilitated by technology, uh, an instrument called uh, a, the um, Da Vinci robot. It's not actually a robot, it's a master-slave system, so it only does what we do, it's an instrument. Uh, every movement it does is because of a movement we've done at a console, and it's real attraction is that it's got amazing vision. So it's got two cameras, and therefore, because you've got two cameras going down one lens, you get a 3D vision. So I get a 3D picture, and it's magnified um, 20 times, and uh, it's double HD. So I get, and we get a great big light, so the pelvis is normally quite a dark space. Open surgery for, uh, for this is, is very difficult, and there are some good open surgeons around. They're extraordinary. They're probably much better surgeons than most robotic surgeons. Uh, they're, they're, it, it's a huge skill to work in the pelvis, and it's very difficult, especially the, with, with the issues that we're trying to prevent, which we'll come on in a second. So it's robotic surgery. It's keyhole. It can be done open. Uh, it's through uh, small incisions, which are the keyholes, small incisions in the, in, the, in the front wall of the abdomen, the tummy. There's a bigger hole where we put the camera in, we want to put that, that in particularly safely to make sure we don't do any damage to the bowel on the way in. And that's also where we remove the prostate. And so it needs to be a bit bigger to allow the prostate to come out. So it's keyhole, it's robotic, it's minimally invasive. It's also done in order, because there's, there's no space in the body. So in order to generate space, you've got to fill the abdomen with carbon dioxide. Filling the abdomen with carbon dioxide, you, can, you create a positive pressure. Uh, I work at 12 millimetres of mercury. And, and having 12 millimetres of mercury pressure in the abdomen, you get less oozing uh, from little capillaries and, and veins, and so you get a better vision. So I've got 3D double HD magnified uh, with little oozing. Uh, and then after that, I've then, everyone's a bit different. You might think that doing this same procedure over again would be boring. No two are the same. And the, what the procedure involves is taking the bladder off the prostate and doing the bladder no harm. So you just move it to the side? It, 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 it's, yeah, it's not quite like that. The, uh, the, uh, but the, uh, so it's technically, there diff are different aspects to it, but, but in, in a broad sense, you're taking the bladder off the prostate and the prostate off the internal aspect of the penis and then disconnecting it at the sides. Now, uh, the bladder bit's easy. The sides, along the sides, are, are usually where the blood vessels and nerves important for erections occur. And they're, 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 they're intimately close to the prostate. And so... Um, there's a millimetre between, say, prostate tissue and nerves. And so between the biopsies, the PSA, uh, the MRI uh, scan, we work out uh, whether we think that one millimetre may be transgressed with tumour or not. Because if it is, 
you can't spell a nerve on that side, otherwise you'll leave cancer behind, which makes it all pointless. And the way we do that, we look at the grade of the cancer, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. And the higher the grade, statistically, the more likely it is going to involve the nerves. And then on the MRI, we can look at the stage. Is it inside the prostate? Is it involving the capsule? Does it look like it's going out? And we use grade and stage to communicate risk. And, we, and then we use that, that risk assessment to decide whether one or both nerves can be spared. If we spare both nerves uh, in a young man, there's a lot of confidence that uh, erectile function will re recover with time. Though having said that, even with that, about a third may not recover their erections. A third might recover them very quickly and don't know how lucky they are. And a third eventually recover them and are absolutely delighted. And, the, um, and that's because the nerves and blood vessels are very, uh, are very variable. There certain disease aspects like diabetes, hypertension, they're less tolerant of surgery and dissection. It's very age-dependent. Most older men don't recover erections. Most younger men do. And also there's anatomical variation. So sometimes uh, all the blood vessels to the penis are outside of the prostate. Sometimes they're running through the middle. If they're running through the middle, you can't help but interfere with them. And you then have to just keep things going and, and, you, and you support the erectile function while a collateral circulation, a rerouting of blood supply to the penis happens, which does with time, which I think explains why uh, some people recover so much later down the line. And late, so much later down the line might even be 18 or 24 months. And then those that don't recover, there are other interventions that we can, uh, that, that we can recommend and apply. And then it depends on the acceptability of them to the patient and the couple. That's about erectile function and nerves. And then at the apex of the prostate, we think about the prostate as a, as a triangle. So the, the base of the triangle is against the bladder. We've taken that off. And there's, there's no worries about that. We can't really cause any harm there. And then at the apex of the prostate is where the continence muscles to prevent urinary leakage are. And it's unbelievable. The, uh, as a urologist, one of our main things we do, we put telescopes up men's penises to examine their bladders uh, as part of a diagnostic test. And But continence is achieved purely by the tube that you pee through being gently squeezed 99% of the time by a muscle that squeezes for 99% of your lifetime. And that gentle squeeze is enough to, uh, to subtly close that pipe so you don't leak urine. And so the surgical skill is causing as little damage to those muscles as possible. And one of the things that you told Kenny ahead of the operation was that uh, it doesn't matter how fit he thinks he is or how, how much he thinks he's gonna you know, beat the system, it is an operation that you kind of have to adhere to the rules of recovery. There is a period of time where, now Kenny described this, and this is probably wrong, this is Kenny language, as you moving the pelvic floor out of the way, which is why his pelvic floor won't work for a few weeks. What, what happens to the pelvic floor? One, you detract a bit from it. So you can't stitch one thing to another thing without damaging the stitched element. So there is a, there's a, there's a stitched element. I obviously there. didn't explain it that well to him. I didn't move anything in that respect. <laughs> but there is, there is a trauma. There, there is a trauma. There's a space created. The bladder is moved. And again, it, it, that, the, you know, the, the disturbance and the, and the, the time to contents recovery, uh, especially with, you know, over time, once you've you know, overcome your sort of learning curve surgically, is dependent on that anatomy. And that's the, I think that's the main variable. But the bladder also is dissected off the abdominal wall, it's dissected off the prostate. So there is a disruption of, of normal services. And you have a catheter in for a few weeks. So it's very disruptive. Is there an average length of time that the operation takes? How long would you expect to be in surgery? Two hours. One and a, three hours difficult, two hours average, uh, an hour and a half easy based on anatomy, patient size, prostate size, how stuck it is. You'd schedule three hours and hope you do it quicker. So, Kenny, we're a few days after your operation. You had a few nights in hospital. Um, you were very, very drowsy in hospital. You looked very uncomfortable. You really wanted to get home. How are you feeling? I'm feeling glad I'm home. Um, it was hard in the hospital. I didn't sleep much because of being woken every couple of hours, getting tested, and, you know, it's, you've got a, um, a bag on. You know, uh, what you catheter. call it? Catheter, that's the word. Getting used to it. <laughs> Got a catheter in uh, for the next 10 days, which... Which I can just say that you're changing yourself. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. And um, sleeping's hard, but glad it's out 
Um, and I suppose it's a bit odd because I went into the hospital feeling fine and I've come out feeling horrific. <laughs> Your torso is really bruised. Yeah, I've got balls the size of tennis balls. They are enormous. They are enormous. <laughs> They're going to go down. Oh, oh. Uh, black and blue. They are I've literally got the biggest bruise across my stomach, I think. Um, is it six incisions to your stomach? Six, six incisions. incisions. Six incisions. Um, operation really well. So that's been it's positive. And hopefully all the cancer's gone. I'll know in about a week's time. Uh, but he's pleased with the operation. It's just very uncomfortable and find it hard walking around and... You're not allowed to do anything. No. Apart from just, walk every now and again just so you don't get a thrombosis. But you're not allowed to lift anything more than a bottle. a kettle. Ice bottle of water. I was going to say, but I didn't realise you could make me a cup of tea. No, I can't. I can't make a cup of tea. But I'm feeling positive. You know, I'm lucky to have it out and hopefully, fingers crossed, it's all gone. And in terms of your, at the moment, your mental kind of, how do you feel mentally about everything? It's amazing. relieved? I do feel relieved, but I think I'll feel better after speaking to Declan because uh, they obviously take a biopsy all around your prostate to make sure it's not going anywhere. But I'm relieved. I'm moving forward. You know, I've got it out and starting to do my rehab. Um, but I can't really do it for nine days, seven days actually, and then I can start slowly doing core. But my downstairs feels absolutely battered and quite emotional a little bit downstairs because you feel... I think there's a lot of emotions around your stomach and you've been pierced through there and, and had a lot of... They swell your stomach up so they can get into your... And you're really swollen, aren't you? Yeah, really swollen. And he said that could be five, six weeks, maybe eight weeks. So I've just got used to that. And um, We won't be doing any waist measurements. We'll not be doing any waist measurements. <laughs> the six-pack is well and gone. Maybe <laughs> that was well hidden. and gone before. It's just hidden. It's just hidden. All right. Thank you. So, Declan, the operation, you called me. Um, I was wandering around Borough Market thinking I had hours because I thought it was going to take a lot longer for him to wake up. You rang me and said you were out, it was all good, and the early signs were that it was positive. And and so it's proved. You, you would consider Kenny's prostate removal a successful operation? Yes, I would. The, um, uh, uh, I had one or two anxieties and glitches, but then you always do. And that's the sort of the mental approach that you take to keep everyone safe. But yes, so as regards looking ahead to the next 10, 20 and 30 years, uh, things are looking very good. He can't get prostate cancer again. He hasn't got a prostate. <laughs> no, uh, although we are going to be measuring his PSA uh, because although I'm 95% plus confident no cells escaped, a simple blood test is going to make us 100% confident that, that he's safe. If Kenny has a PSA that is zero for the next five years, he's going to be cured. And in terms of the next stages for him, um, he's he's done uh, well on the, the, the catheter and the urine flow seems to be all good. And it's going forwards, obviously, the erectile function is the main thing, the main concern for him and working on that. And it's a mental, you know, observing this and obviously being his wife, it's a mental thing as well, I think. There's a, you know, there's a certain sadness for a man around that. Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's very... Astute. The um, uh, so the so one it, it's it's unavoidably changed to a degree, and that if you remove the prostate, you lose that uh, you lose ejaculation. So that's different. But that will become the new normal, um, and it is acceptable. And the uh, and then the erectile function is very fragile. And the uh, the the biggest off button of an erection is wanting an erection. So the sympathetic nervous system is the off button and the drive and the will and stress. So any worry at all, any performance anxiety, any, any anticipation of failure is the off button. So initially, people are more likely to be surprised uh, by an erection uh, than having one uh, uh, when, when, when they expect it. We can do things to help it, and you help things along the line. Viagra was the, the brand leader for erectile function, and that's now available as Sildenafil. It's cheap as chips. Uh, it's wonderful. It'll make the world a happier place. And it's got a cousin, uh, which was Cialis, uh, and, and it's now generic also to Dalafil, which is a longer-acting uh, tablet. And, uh, and, they, and, and those have got different uh, effectiveness for individuals, and they've got different side effects. Uh, some people get headaches or indigestion or aches and pains on them. You need to switch between the medications or you need to do other things. 
uh, no one with advanced prostate cancer can get an erection. And, you know, and the erectile function and, and this bit of hard work is the cost of cure. Is Kenny lucky, do you think, Declan? The, uh, I hope so. You know, because, and, I, and, I, and I say that because the, um, the, uh, the reason he was put on surveillance at the beginning was because I didn't think he needed therapy treatment because I didn't think it'd be worth this. Uh, and then he got disease uh, when, I, when we started to think, actually, I think it might be worth this. And, the, um, and I, could list, I could list an awful lot of men uh, who would bite their hand off to be Kenny. Now, we'll never know whether Kenny's had something, um, had something unnecessarily because something else is going to define him in, in the future. Uh, we don't know whether we've overestimated the, the growth of his cells, but I can say very confidently, you know, if we left this, this would grow and it would progress. If, if Kenny lived long enough, it would become an issue. He would have later treatment. And uh, increasingly, the longer you leave this type of disease, you get a, a, an attrition rate, a fall off of people who aren't any longer curable and, and therefore destined to spend the, the rest of their life on these drugs, which for those that need them, are fabulous and effective. But if, where it's avoidable, it's regrettable. And so I think he has been lucky the, because, I mean, I, I feel lucky that uh, we did another MRI and another biopsy and we interrogated and I wasn't responsible for, for missing the boat on him. And it, it appears that we've got a future life-threatening prostate cancer while it was confined to the prostate and removed it. And he's strong and fit and he's coped with it. Uh, Declan, Kenny's here um, and uh, would like to say a quick hello. Hi, Declan. How Hi. are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Kenny. And yourself? Good, thank you. Thanks to you. Um... Well, thanks to me. Two months I think, in. I think you were, you were a lot in. worse when I finished with you. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you give me a right kicking. Um, but yeah. I, I feel good now. Two months, I think every week I get stronger and things disappear. What happened maybe the week before was bothering me, but definitely on the road to recovery. Fabulous. Big thank you. To you yeah. and your no, team. Well, you, reap, you, reap, team. you reap what you sow and you're in good nick. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Declan, uh, from all of us, uh, from our family. And uh, thank you as well for, for contributing to this podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So, Kenny, we are now two months post-op. Yes. And um, there's been a lot of uh, progress, I think we should say, in terms of your physical and mental Improvements. The last time we spoke was just a few days after the operation. You were very swollen, very bruised, um, very, very tired. bruised, very tired. Um, so a lot has changed, hasn't it, physically in that time? Every week's got better. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking how I am now. I feel miles better now. I feel almost back to normal. Uh, little things that makes me feel a bit odd when you're lifting something or turning around. You accidentally pee yourself. It's a bit embarrassing. Uh, or a little bit weeps out, and you go, oh. So but you, that bit, that part of it, you were more worried about not. Well, you were worried about lots of things, but the leakage. Um, the leakage was a worry. Really good. The leakage has been really good. Yeah, which is one of the one, things. One night, which was a bit weird, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, two nights. No, bit you weird. Tell me about the other one. No, I think I got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I just woke up in a pile of urine because you, you, I was so tired. I remember Declan saying, "When you get tired, your body is." Shut down, evacuate. So I had two evacuations. Um, talking wee wees now. Wee wees, yeah. But just because I'm, I was so tired. And I, I mean, even like two weeks ago, I was driving and I had to stop the car because I was so exhausted. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. Because it does take a lot out of your body. You do feel exhausted. I think it's because it does get right to the bottom of your core, which is where the prostate is. And it takes time for it to heal. You don't think it's like being stabbed six times but controlled. So your, your body does take time, a long time to, re, to recover. But I would say every week it's got better and better and better. And this week feels so going not back far to the from leakage, being normal. Because that's something that I think people are going to find interesting to hear if they're heading into this. You are advised to have like nappies and pads and all that. And you didn't really need to use all <laughs> I, that. I did, I did start wearing them because I was paranoid. The pads? The pads, because I thought I'd pee myself. And I was really worried about doing that, maybe from somebody or you know, being embarrassed by it. And I'm not embarrassed by it, it's just one of these, you know, it's just a symptom you've got. And mentally, I think you found the first few weeks very... Tough, um, yeah. Yeah, demanding and challenging. I think they're demanding because 
I'm so used to be getting up and doing stuff. And I had many injuries in my rugby career, but never anything that stopped me like this. It really did. I couldn't move. You know, I struggled to get up. I struggled to walk to the toilet to, to um, empty my bag. It was just, and it became really tiring for me. I was sleeping all day, sleeping all night. You were quite um, anxious. And a little bit snappy with the kids. And things. Yeah, I was a bit snappy because I just, I didn't like the way I was feeling. But as I said, every week got better. So I, did, I didn't, and I, I kept being very positive that next week will be better. And then when I think the best piece of news was when Declan phoned me up and said, look, your, prost- your cancer was contained in the prostate. It didn't move anywhere else. So You're lucky. I was lucky. And that really was a huge weight off my shoulders because I hadn't really thought much about it before. And I actually didn't realise until he told me how much maybe I was thinking about it deep down. So it just gave me a real sense of, oh my, I'm lucky and enjoy, you know, get yourself really fit. And Well, that's, well you are a fit person. You yeah, were a fit person before. And this is what... Um, you know, is important to stress as well, isn't it? The thing about prostate cancer, it's not like one of those lifestyle cancers that you kind of go, oh, well, now I'm going to stop smoking or now I'm going to stop... Because actually, think, all those things... I said that to Declan, I said, what can I do to stop this? And he said, just, you're just unlucky, but actually lucky at the same time because we caught it in time. And the other big thing, of course, about having your prostate out mm. is the risk of having uh, affected your erectile function, mm. which... Absolutely happens straight away, you know. Yeah, that's, that's the first thing it goes. First thing that, well, that's gone for, mm. for a period of time. Yeah. Um, there is a risk, obviously, that it could be a lot worse for a lot of people. It depends on, on kind of how their prostate is built and everything. Yeah. Um, Declan was really pleased with how he removed your prostate in terms of the damage around Yeah, I mean, I, I did get, um, can I say erection on the podcast? Yeah, you can say um, I had, I think, and I didn't know if I was dreaming or not, so I thought I, had, I didn't have an erection again for a couple of days. Um, but I have that had... Was, that was very quick. That was about a week after. Yeah, it was a week after, so I was a bit confused. But recently, I've been a lot more active on that front, as in it's been, I've been have waking you? up I in the morning. <laughs> you, you haven't seen it yet. It's coming this weekend. It's a big weekend. <laughs> but um, it, does, it does worry you, but you've got to do your exercises, your pelvic floor. And I must admit, since I started training again, I think that's really helped me. You start, you're allowed to exercise now. Yeah, well, I was six weeks. But it could be three training. to six months before you have normal erectile function. Yeah, it could be longer. Some people are longer. I'm well, of course. This um, weekend. <laughs> um, but there are things that um, you can do. There's yeah. a pump, which yeah, is... Yeah, penis pump. Which, this is great to do. Which, <laughs> you would have thought. The penis, penis, penis pump. pump. What, my best friend. Penis pump. Um, yeah, there's a penis pump. What you, you use for 10 minutes every day, which basically... It's a bit odd, got to be honest. I I'll be, be honest, I've been away at the Commonwealth Games, so you've, I, I, you've been getting to grips with your penis yeah, pump on your own. And I, w- I will not be showing you. If you ever walk in and see me in my penis pump, you've got to get out. Okay. <laughs> it's not, not exactly very But you well. don't do it forever. Oh, yeah, that's good. To know. That's good. And then, of course, you know, further down the line, if there were problems, there's always tablets that can be taken. Yeah, the blueies. Com- uh, more commonly known as Viagra. Viagra. Um, but I, I don't think I'll need them. Okay. Well, it's, not, it's no... Uh, no, it's no, it's no shame. No, but um, but the idea is to get everything functioning back on its own yeah, eventually. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's a bit like you know when a, when a woman has a baby. Obviously, it takes time to get the pelvic floor back, doesn't it? And so you know it, that's and you can't you just jump straight in there, can you? With you've women, that you've got to you've got to wait. And obviously, this is a different functionality. But um, the one thing you'll never get back, though, so let's be candid, is I'm definitely there is no sperm there's anymore. There's no sperm anymore. There is a feeling. Yeah, so well, don't that's worry. important. Okay. Oh, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about me. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, I think the key thing is t- to be positive. You know, I've been lucky, but you've been very positive. Kids have been great. You know, I've told the kids about it, so they know. And as you kept saying every interview, you did eventually tell your mum, and she was absolutely fine, wasn't she? Yeah, she 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 had told my mum, and she said, uh, "Oh, right." I said, "Didn't want to tell you. Didn't want to upset you." She goes, "I'm glad you didn't tell me." Then she told me everybody else was dying and everybody else was ill in Scotland. So Probably about ten more people. Ten more people. So I didn't feel as bad at the end. Um, well, obviously, the the reason, and it was you who wanted to do this podcast. You you pushed me to kind of get it going because you felt that you were very lucky to find out when you did, and you wanted to talk about it in a candid way, so that perhaps men who are maybe experiencing symptoms or of an age where they should just go and get the PSA tested before it leads to 
more aggressive and dangerous cancers in other parts of the body. Yeah, I mean, Declan will tell you more of the stats, but I think it's 40, he said to me, 40% of your friends have got this, they just don't know they've got it. So you're very lucky. You know, most of my mates who I've spoken to have not said they've had it done. They've all gone and they got it done. So, and it's not embarrassing you get a blood test. I think that's everybody thinks it's the finger up the bum stuff, which... Well, that comes later. That does come. Don't get me wrong. Um, But the blood test and the urine test is the first thing to do. It's very simple and then you can know immediately. And it's not, I think, after COVID, people are more willing to go and get tested now, I think, because they know they can... Testing's not that hard and it's a very simple process. So hopefully some people are going to get tested at the back of this and hopefully save some people's lives or you know, help, help people maybe get over it a bit better. And I think for me, just be positive as, as much as you can um, and have you know, good family support around you. And being very lucky with Declan and his team have been amazing for me. And talk to your mates. Talk to your mates, definitely talk to your mates. Be open, don't be scared to see how you feel. Well, thank you. Or, um, Thank you, Kevin. Being so open and candid, and um, I'm obviously delighted. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that uh, this, that this is the way we're in. <laughs> Stop making promises you can't deliver. It's true. That seems like a good way to end the podcast. Yeah. There won't be a further update on that, by the way, listener. <laughs> I realise that our family are very fortunate. Kenny's outcome has been positive. And this episode has sadly and by a very strange coincidence dropped in the week that the revered BBC broadcaster Bill Turnbull has died at the age of 66 of prostate cancer. By his own admission, Bill has talked about resisting visiting a doctor for too many months and years when he clearly had symptoms. So when he eventually went to see his doctor, his cancer had spread and it was too late. And as he said, he ended up going to the doctor very regularly after that. I'm not unrealistic. We are all going to die of something eventually. But hopefully, and this is the really important bit, we're not going to die too soon and of something that science and medicine already has the tools and treatments to deal with. And that was the whole motivation of bringing you this podcast. First of all, to explain what prostate cancer is, to explain the possible outcomes, but also to share the message for men of a certain age to go and get tested. And maybe that means putting pressure on the government to let those men know that they need to go and get a test so they can grow up to be the husbands, the grandfathers and the friends that they want to be into old age. Thank you so much to everybody who's helped put this podcast together. As I said at the beginning, everybody has given up their time willingly and for nothing. So to Declan, Kenny's urologist, Declan Cahill, who's given up his time and energy, we appreciate you enormously. You're a hero to our family. Thank you to Lauren Armstrong Carter and Rethink Audio for producing. Carver PR have got this podcast out there and are continuing to spread the message. Uh, from YM and you, Holly, Lewis and all the team there, thank you for supporting us and helping us bring this to life. And of course to Kenny for being such a star and wanting to share so candidly. And thank you for listening. Please do share this podcast if you think any of the men in your life might benefit from hearing it. Take care and I'll see you soon for some more episodes of The Midpoint. <laughs>